Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. Vanderbilt is 1-0, and everybody else is left to play catch-up. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Today on the episode, we're going to be taking a, a look at that uh, top 25 clash in Atlanta on Saturday between Georgia and Oregon. Also get into some week one betting lines and our picks in a handful of games. Uh, but first, I'm going to take a, an examination of some quarterback competitions that have almost all settled in the SEC. John, one quarterback competition that appears settled is that at Vanderbilt. I know we both stayed up late to watch the Commodores against Hawaii. Mike Wright and Vandy look pretty good out there. Yeah, and I think a whole lot of offenses will look really good against Hawaii's defense. I think that six, uh, 63 points Vanderbilt hung on their necks, is uh, that will be reached again and again and maybe again. It's a uh, pretty, uh, pretty desperate-looking defense that Hawaii's come up with, but I'm sure things will work out for the best. Um, I was impressed with Mike Wright. Uh, We've known he's a good runner. He he had some good games running against SEC defenses last year. Question his passing. I thought he was more accurate this go-round. He still doesn't really look like a natural NFL-type passer to me, but he was accurate, and that's that's huge for Vanderbilt. And I thought Will Shepard at wide receiver so showed some flash, flashes as a potential playmaker. Um Running backs look good again, but you know how it goes, Blake. I mean, you can tune in any one of these early season games and think, wow, man, that team has really got an offense going. Also, another thing to remember is uh, the tackling is usually lackluster in those early season games, particularly the opener. Teams don't hit as much as they used to in preseason, and that's a factor, I think, on defense. All right, John, getting into to some of these other quarterbacks in the SEC, we have clarity on, on the starting QB conversation at Auburn and at Texas A&M. At Auburn, T.J. Finley has been named starter. Of course, he was an LSU transfer last year, was a backup for most of last season behind Bo Nix, uh, had some good moments, was, was really instrumental to Auburn beating Georgia State. I don't think they beat him without – T.J. Finley, he, he came off the bench and rallied them in that game, but he was overall inconsistent, had more of the consistency you would expect from a backup than a starter, but he beat out Texas A&M transfer Zach Calzada along with Oregon transfer Robbie Ashford, and then at Texas A&M, Haynes King back from an ankle injury that sidelined him for most of last season, beat out your guy, LSU transfer, Max Johnson, among others. So my question to you, John, we know who's going to be starting the year at quarterback for these two programs. Come October 1st, so one one month into the season, that'd be entering week five, will TJ Finley remain the starting quarterback at Auburn, and will Haynes King be the starting quarterback at Texas A&M? That's a really good question. Let's go with the Auburn. T.J. Finley is a freshman, started a couple of games for LSU, showed off a big arm, and as I've been uh, fooled by so many quarterbacks, 
in their debuts. He was, I thought, man, this guy's going to be something with that arm. And then the more I watched of him, the more he kind of slid downhill in my estimation. However, Zach Calzado, I, <laughs> I, I don't see him doing anything special. So to me, Finley can hold that job. And that's not a coronation of his ability. That's kind of a, well, well, who else are you going to play? And I don't know about the Oregon transfer. I think he might be ahead. Uh, what's his name? Robbie Ashford. Is that right? Right. I think he might be ahead of um, Calzado now who who's plummeting apparently in, in value. But I think Finley can hold that job. I, I look at all. There's so many question marks with Auburn. I don't know how much help Finley will have, and I don't know how much help he can provide. So, yeah. Before before we get to A and M, want to chime in there because I, I think you touched on something. You, you said it's real, no real coronation of of Finley. It's more an indictment of of what they have. I, I agree with that. I don't. To me, sometimes we in the, in the preseason we try to um, assign meaning to some of this stuff where it doesn't exist. I mean, one, one theory here is that TJ Finley has really flourished in the off season, really improved in another year under Brian Harson. Maybe we see that play out. However, we've seen a lot of TJ Finley as a backup and as a spot spot starter these past two seasons. He's a guy with some talent, but he's a guy that has kind of a defined ceiling. I feel like at this point, doesn't have a ton of consistency, doesn't have the accuracy from throw to throw that you'd ideally be looking for. So I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm inclined to think he's the best of the options, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Auburn has found themselves a top flight SEC quarterback. And, and with Zach Calzada, you know, he had that offseason shoulder surgery. He actually injured that shoulder in the game against Auburn last year, I believe it was a November game, A&M and Auburn got hurt in that game, finished the season out, really was a gritty guy for A&M all, all year, but then he had off-season surgery, missed spring practice, and you just wonder how much you know that continues to, to affect him. So yeah, I guess I'm with you. I'd be inclined to say, I think Finley will remain the starter come off, uh, October 1st. Now, how about Haynes King and, and have you gotten over the setback of Max Johnson being the backup, since I know you are sort of the captain of the, the Max Johnson fan club. Yeah, of a Max Johnson dwindling fan club. You know how quickly I can jump off a bandwagon. I can do it in a heartbeat. I'm not ready to do that yet. I just can't get past the game I saw with Haynes King. I think it was against, was it Colorado last year they played? And, the offense was immobile. Uh, even the week before, I think we were talking yesterday, you pointed out he threw a couple of interceptions against an FCS team. I don't remember that game, but A&M had enough talent that surely can move the ball better against Colorado. So that bothers me uh, with Haynes King. And, and maybe that's unfair, but <laughs> what's fair, right? So Max Johnson, I'm sticking with him, and I'll say he, he'll he win that job. Max Johnson, I mean, uh, Haynes King will go out and and flounder, and, and Max will take over. He'll be the starting quarterback uh, October 1st. If he isn't, I won't even remember his name. All right, I'm sticking with, with the starter here, too. I, I'll say that Haynes King holds on to this job, perhaps wire to wire throughout the season. Um, 
particularly if if that ankle is is in good order, which apparently he is, or he wouldn't have been named the starter. Two places, John, where the starting quarterback has not been announced, at least as we record this episode now. It's all subject to, to change as game day arrives. This information has its has its ways of, of leaking out. But at Ole Miss and LSU uh, on Monday during the head coaching press conferences for Lane Kiffin and Brian Kelly, it was a little bit different news. Lane Kiffin said he'd not determined a starting quarterback between Jackson Dart, the Southern Cal transfer, and Luke Altmeyer, who was the backup to Matt Corral last year. He said st- the, the competition is ongoing. Meanwhile, at LSU, Brian Kelly said he had determined a starter over the weekend between Arizona State transfer Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer, the redshirt freshman, but he wasn't announcing that starter. He believes it's a tactical advantage to keep that uh, to keep that quiet, which I think we're both skeptical how much of a tactical advantage that is. But my question, John, if these competitions are so close, if they're so nip and tuck, you know, a week out from the season opener, where guys that are paid to do this for a living determine quarterback competitions, uh, particularly someone like Lane Kiffin, who this is his forte, evaluating quarterbacks. If it's so close, why shouldn't these programs take the Jim Harbaugh approach at Michigan? Harbaugh has said he'll have different quarterbacks start in weeks one and weeks two while he evaluates that competition further in determining a starter. Why not do that at Ole Miss and LSU? You know, give one guy the start in game one, give the other guy the start in game two, and then by week three, maybe you got an idea who your starting quarterback is before SEC games arrive. Yeah, I think that could be a good way to go. It If the competition is truly that narrow, and sometimes these coaches say that so many things in preseason, they want to keep the backup engaged. Uh, who knows? He may run off to another school now in the transfer era. So they, they just want to keep that edge. Uh, to them, they want to keep these guys to keep competing. So Brian Kelly tells us, I know who the quarterback is and you don't. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's they play these kind of silly games. I, I would think both coaches know who their starter is. But as you say, if it's really that close, then do what Harbaugh does. That, however, there would be – it would depend on the schedule. If you're open, opening against the University of Hawaii's defense, heck, you can play three guys and, and judge them all. But if you're playing a team – you're not sure you can beat, then you better be sure you're playing the best guy. So particularly in uh, Brian Kelly's case, it's a first game. But this is where I think it sets up well, because, yeah, LSU's opening against Florida State, to your point, you really can't be messing around against Florida State or you just might lose. So in week one, play the guy who maybe you're leaning to to start against Florida State. But then week two, you have an FCS game against Southern, start the other guy. And and then maybe you've seen them both at, at that point. Maybe you got a better idea of who you really want as your starter. If you're Ole Miss, they have Troy in week one, so play the guy you're leaning to. And then in week two, they have an FCS opponent at Central Arkansas. So again, I think the opportunity's there to start two different guys. Um, 
and it would be different, John, if I trusted these these coaches to to always make the right choice in, in these quarterback competitions. But we've seen time and again, the coaches don't always get these things right. And then sometimes they get stubborn and refuse to change their minds for longer than they should. And the fact of the matter is, you can't always evaluate things based on practice. You know how it is. The quarterback in practice, I mean, they're they're the most protected guy on campus. They're wearing those non-contact jerseys. If anyone even breathes on him too hard, you're getting a tongue lashing from your your position coach. So they're they're very protected in, in practice. They don't have the pressure. They're not going to get hit. Um, they don't have to have the poise and and make those high stress decisions like they do when the rounds are live during a game. And, and so I just think if 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 the competitions are as co- as close as these coaches are alluding to, which as you fairly point out, we always have to assume that on some level these coaches are lying. But if there's a shred of truth here, and these are close competitions, start the other guy in week two against the FCS opponent. Well, it, we're talking here about practice and games. And I, I go back years ago to Johnny Manziel at A&M. His talent as a quarterback was the ability to improvise and play under duress, which is just what you want if you're trying to win a championship or beat Alabama, which he did. That doesn't show up in practice when these guys are wearing a protective jersey, whatever the color might be, because you don't hit them. You don't know about the, 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 how hard this guy is to bring down. If you hit him around the legs, he'll just shrug off a tackle. He's not that big, but he, he's very strong. So I, that's a great point. I, you just don't know how these guys will perform in a game. Go back to last year with Tennessee. Josh Heupel, first year, starts Joe Bilton, strong-arm quarterback, uh, unimpressive in a win over Bowling Green, an overmatched opponent. Then the next week struggles at the start against Pittsburgh, brings in Hendon Hooker in the second half. Hendon Hooker excels, and it was his job from there on out. And Hendon Hooker is now mentioned in the Heisman Trophy conversation. Joe Milton is a backup, uh, perhaps forevermore. So you just you you got it. You just can't be sure to you see these guys in a game. All right, John. Let's change gears to a program where we know who the starting quarterback is, which is different, at least under debate this time a year ago, and that's Georgia. Stetson Bennett is reigning national champion. There's still some doubters out there of Stetson Bennett, but he is he is the man for Georgia. The bigger question I have as Georgia prepares for this, this top 15 opener against former defensive coordinator Dan Lanning, now the head coach at Oregon, and former Auburn quarterback Bo Nix, who's among two quarterbacks in the mix to start for for Oregon, is about Georgia's defense, John. They they lost seven starters to the NFL draft off that elite unit that fueled Georgia's national championship last year. Now, if Georgia comes out on Saturday in Atlanta and just has another stalwart defensive effort and shutting down the Ducks, could that make you believe that Georgia is actually the front runner in the SEC? Because I know we're both on record. We we like Alabama as the front runner going into this season. But is there anything Georgia could do to maybe make you change your mind after one game? 
A couple of things. One you alluded to already, play shut down defense. It's played against Bo Nix before when he was at Auburn. Bo Nix actually beat uh, Oregon in his first game, I think, as a starter for uh, for Auburn. Um, I think Georgia's defense will be really good. I think its secondary might be better than it was last year. And I think Jalen Carter anchoring that defensive front, he's as good as anybody uh, Georgia had last year in his starting defensive lineup. So the question I have about Georgia's defense is depth. I don't know if the guys they put in there as backups last year, their backup front defensive front was there was no drop off hardly. So that keeps guys fresh. So I will be watching that game from how does Georgia play defensively uh, midway through the third on through the fourth quarter. And if they bring in guys off the bench who perform at a high level, I'll be looking, that's something I'll be looking at. Another thing I'm not sure about with Georgia is running back. We're so accustomed to Georgia having five running backs are going to gain 200 yards for you. And all of them show enough talent uh, to make you think, well, that guy would be the lead running back on a lot of teams. And I'm not sure if Georgia has that kind of depth now. It's top two guys are Kenny McIntosh who's a good cutback runner. Uh, he's got enough strength to run between the tackles, and he's quick. Kendall Milton is supposedly go- was supposedly going to be the next superstar running back at Georgia, but it just hasn't happened. He's big and strong, has some speed, but he's been hurt on and off, and he, even in preseason, I, he was bothered by a hamstring. So that's the other thing I'm looking at. Everything else about Georgia, I feel pretty good about. It might have the best group of tight ends I've ever seen in the SEC. I think Brock Bowers is one of the best players in the country. And I don't know how you are, how you stand on this now, but I, I've kind of, kind of come around on Stetson Bennett. I, I mean, people keep disrespecting him, but and and at first, when I first saw him his first year, I thought, this guy's not an SEC quarterback. You can't win a championship with this guy. Well, Georgia won a national championship last year and beat Alabama in the championship game. And people say, well, he's he's just a game manager, and they won it with defense. I don't really think of him as a game manager. He's a really good runner. He can throw pretty well under duress. And he beat Alabama with a deep throw. He does make he does force things sometimes, so I don't think of him that way. But I'm okay with Stetson Bennett. What's yeah, your take I mean, on him at this point? Stetson Bennett, he, he showed you can win a national championship with him at, at quarterback, and I think that goes a long way to, uh, or it should go a long way to to quieting doubt. Yeah, as you mentioned, he's a good runner. I think my concern with Georgia at this point is is not necessarily quarterback. Is he Bryce Young? No, but neither is anybody else in the SEC either. I mean, Georgia has a really good offensive line. You mentioned the tight ends. I think like you, I'm curious about the depth on defense, particularly on the defensive front, because that was a thing about that D-line last year. I mean, they had star power, and it wasn't just one or two guys. You could go into the second string and there were certain games where I thought the guys who were the reserves, the backups, 
were better than the starters. And and that wasn't really a knock on the starters, but it, it was because the backups they brought in were so dang good in some games. It's like, wait a second. These guys should be the ones out there starting. Now, maybe they have that again this year, but so much of that is is unproven. You mentioned Jalen Carter. You know, he's the linchpin back from the defensive line from last year who returns. But outside of him, it's a group that's that's long on talent and short on, um, I guess, proven street cred at this point. And I really think even as you you shift back to the linebackers, um, you know, I really thought that group was the heartbeat of that Georgia defense last year between Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. And now in the middle of the defense, you got two very talented guys in Smale Munden and, and Jamin Dumas Johnson. Uh, but again, long on talent, haven't had to be the guy though up to this point. So if Georgia's front seven can come out there and show me that not only do they have the talent, they have the depth. I don't know that I'm going to leapfrog them past Alabama as, as my favorite in the sec, but it is going to make me feel comfortable, more comfortable in thinking this team's getting back to the college football playoff this year. Blake, when you look at Alabama, I wonder how much our opinion of Alabama is colored by those two unusually gifted players in quarterback, Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, Will Anderson, whom I think you voted for for the Heisman. You had him at least in your top three. And he's getting Heisman talk last this preseason after just putting up incredible numbers in sacks and tackles for loss. But if you take those guys out, um, and, and of course you don't take them out, but I'm just talking about overall depth of talent. I'm not sure this is a comparable team to Alabama's best teams. When I look at the offensive line, I look at the defensive front. Linebackers are really good. Secondary has some good players in it, but that secondary got burned some last year. Um, running backs some good running backs and Jameer Gibbs, a transfer from uh, Georgia tech supposed to be a, a real playmaker game breaker kind of guy, but he's not Najee Harris. I, I mean, you go back a couple of years and you look at that Alabama depth chart when he won a national championship. And I don't see that kind of depth of talent on this one. So I, I don't think the gap between Alabama and Georgia is that significant. I agree with you. I give the edge to Alabama, but it's just that an edge. That's a good heat check there, John, because I, I think I've been operating under the thought that Nick Saban might have one of his best teams entering this season. Not his best team, but one of his best teams. But you make a fair counter argument in how much of my thinking is influenced by two guys, because those two guys, for all the stars, that Alabama has had over the years. I mean, if Bryce Young is not your your top quarterback pick among all the quarterbacks who's come through this Alabama dynasty, he's he's going to be one of the top three off the board at the at the very least, right? Of all the quarterbacks Saban's had over the years, and then of all the the amazing defenders Alabama has produced, I mean, it, Will Anderson's almost incomparable. And you're right, I did vote him number one. On my Heisman ballot last year, I thought he should have won the award. No slight to Bryce Young. I just think Will Anderson was the best player in college football. And and 
Like he's still the best player in college football, but he is one of 11 guys. And, and you make a, a good point there that maybe once you proceed past those two stars, you know, one guy on offense, one guy on defense, if you take those guys off their, their units or even look past them on their units is the rest of the unit are the other 10 guys out there as good as some Nick Saban teams in the past. And I think collectively, I, I would have to agree with you. I, I think that's that's a fair take. You, you've got me rethinking a little bit. <laughs> not not necessarily Alabama as a front runner. You don't have me rethinking that, but maybe the gap isn't isn't as broad um, as as I have it in my mind. Well, when we go back to last last year's championship national championship game last season's rather, Alabama lost that game because it didn't have a it didn't have a deep threat at wide receiver. Injuries cost it that. And I'm not sure Alabama has has exceptional wide receivers. It very well may, but I don't have evidence of that yet. And perhaps this is unfair, but I just look at that Alabama team from two years ago when they had four future NFL wide receivers on their roster and they had Najee Harris at running back and Mac Jones, the quarterback. I mean, there was no... There was absolutely no weakness on that offense, a really good offensive line. And it's it's probably unfair to judge teams, but that's my standard with Alabama offense now. It's that. And I don't see I don't see anything close to that once you get past Bryce Young at quarterback. And we are going to take a quick break and we will be back with our week one picks. Hi, this is Blake Topmeyer, host of the SEC Football Unfiltered podcast. Along with my co-host, John Adams, we've been coming to you every week for more than a year now. Thank you to those who have been with us from the beginning. And if you're just finding us, we hope you'll tune in throughout this season. When we launched this podcast, we had the goal of having fun. We want to entertain as well as inform, and we consider no topic off limits. We'll debate anything from overrated teams, coaches on the hot seat, the best venues to cover a game, and whether John got swindled when he sold his 20-year-old Honda. While we revel in the banter, we're not big on shouting or talking over each other. This is a podcast for debate rather than noise. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider clicking subscribe or follow so you won't miss an episode, and we'd appreciate your rating or review. Those ratings and reviews help us find more listeners. As always, thank you for listening. We are back. John, we are going to be picking some some games throughout this season. I know you are a betting mastermind and you got stacks piling up in your bank account, right? From from all the shrewd picks you've picked over the years. Is that correct? Yeah, I might uh just to get a little bit exotic and, and get away from that computer, I might just drive over to Cherokee, North Carolina to sports book and take a little money away from that casino. Say hi to Jeremy uh, this, Pruitt for me, will you? <laughs> I'll stay away from the poker. I'll I'll just know something. I'll just bet on something I know something about. And I don't think college football is Jeremy Pruitt's uh, game of expertise. He probably is better off at the poker table. I'll pick the games. Well said. All right. Here's the way we're going to do it every week. We're not gonna we're not gonna pick every SEC game. We're just we're just gonna zero in on on a few games. A couple from the SEC, big game or two elsewhere, and then every week 
John or John and I will offer our lock of the week. These are the games that we the game that we feel confident about. We could pick inside or outside the SEC. And of course, these games will be picked against the spread. All right, first game, John, we've we've talked about uh, Oregon, Georgia. Now it's time to make our picks. Georgia is a 17 and a half point favorite. Who's your pick against the spread in this one? When I was looking at these lines, the games you presented, you did a really nice job. I think of you as a casino now or odds maker because I, those picks to me are are really hard. That you could just go a couple of points either way, and I would I wouldn't have any trouble deciding. I think I I could just toss a coin on this one, but I I'll I guess I'll go with Georgia. I'll give the points. Yeah, my coin's going the other way. I feel similarly. I frankly I'd stay away from this one. I would too. If I was a sports better, (laughs) but uh, I chose the games we were going to pick. So I forced us not to stay away from this one. I'm just always leery of those, those big spreads in season one games among two ranked teams. Like we don't really know for sure how good either one of these teams is. We we think George is going to be really good. We think, you know, Oregon's going to be good, but they, they did lose some in, in some areas off last year's roster. They got a new coach. They're going to be good on the offensive line. Who's their quarterback? We still don't know. But that's a lot of points. I'll take Oregon and and the 17 and a half points. All right, John, you know I'm high on the Hogs. Arkansas opens with a bit of a a tester in week one. Cincinnati, fresh off a, a college football playoff appearance, comes to town. Arkansas, six and a half point favorites. Have I made a convincing case for Arkansas enough? that you will pick them to cover that spread. Yes, I will. And it probably says more about Cincinnati than Arkansas. I, I like you. I, I like Arkansas. I wonder if Arkansas has enough playmakers uh, offensively. However, in this game, I wonder the same thing about Cincinnati, which lost its quarterback. Arkansas brings its quarterback back. And I, I like there's a similarity here. And that if you watch these teams last season, you know, they both played with a lot of intensity. Uh, Arkansas did, Cincinnati did. Granted, Arkansas was playing against tougher competition, but they're kind of hard-nosed teams. Luke Fickle has instilled that with Cincinnati. Sam Pittman has done the same thing at uh, Arkansas. But I just like the fact Arkansas has more guys returning that I think you can really count on, and I think it will really play with an edge in this game. So I'll give the points. Yeah, I, I had Cincinnati written down on my piece of paper, John, but I just can't do it. You know, after after pounding that drum for the Hogs all, all preseason and saying this is the dark horse everybody needs to watch out for in the SEC, and I, I really felt like I exerted my will over the rest of the sheep out there. Because you know, throughout the preseason, you started to see Arkansas climb in the in the ranks of those predicted orders of, of finish. So I, I feel like I had a real um, influential presence when it came to the Arkansas outlook. I'm not I'm not going to give up on it now. So I'm I'm crossing out Cincinnati, sticking to my guns. Arkansas will cover the six and a half points. All right, last one 
before we get to our locks of the week. We're stepping outside of the SEC for this one. Another huge spread. Top five matchup. Notre Dame against Ohio State. 17.5-point favorite is the Buckeyes. Yeah, this is very much like that Oregon-Georgia spread. Very hard to pick. And if I had having to put money on a game, it would not be this one. Uh, Ohio State has so much firepower. Notre Dame has a new quarterback, and he's he's more of a runner than a passer. At least he was last year. If you believe Notre Dame can beat that spread, then you believe it's going to physically rough up Ohio State a little bit in the line. And maybe it can, but I just don't think it can stop Ohio State from scoring a lot of points. That offense is going to be so dynamic. So I'll pick Ohio State. And in doing so, I realized I've picked all three favorites. Yeah, you're not scared of of those big spreads. Well, maybe you are, but you're not scared enough to stay away from the favorites. (laughs) I'm scared of them, but... uh, I do this reluctantly because I know from looking at lines that the chance of me hitting all three favorites in three picks is not going to happen. Well, it's not a parlay. You only got to hit two out of three, and you might be ahead of ahead of me. So uh, I'm I'm going to go the other direction again. I'm scared of that 17 and a half point point spread. I think Ohio State wins this game, wins this game comfortably, but uh, not by at least 18 points. So I will take. Notre Dame, and the points. That leaves us with our lock of the week. John, you got something queued up there as as your lock of the week? I've got another favorite, but I don't have that kind of point spread I have to cover. Okay. Utah is a slight favorite over Florida. What was I think you gave me was two and a half, maybe? Yes. Okay. Utah. I know Florida's going to, the swamp will be pumped up. Uh, New coach Billy Napier, they could get the Gators' best shot. And it's got to be a little bit difficult coming from from Utah, going all the way to Gainesville, where it's going to, the heat, the temperature will be rising. However, I watched Utah go toe to toe with Ohio State last year in the Rose Bowl, almost won it. I just don't think Florida's that good. I just think Utah's better. I think it's better in both lines. And it has, for all the hype about Anthony Richardson, uh, Utah's quarterback, Florida's quarterback, Utah's quarterback has put up good numbers last year. I just don't see a whole lot wrong with this Utah team. And other than SEC bias and uh, prejudice against the Pac-12, which is understandable, I'm going with Utah as my lock. All right. I, I think that's that's a good pick. I, I like that one. I, I, like you, am surprised that line is not a little bigger in, in favor of, of Utah. So uh, I'm going to stay in the state of Florida for my lock of the week and take BYU to cover 12.5 points against South Florida. This line really jumped out at me. I think BYU is going to be really good this year. They returned their, their quarterback and Jaron Hall off a team that won 10 games last year. South Florida won just two games last season. I know they got the Baylor transfer and Jerry Bohannon as their quarterback, but boy, I, you stack that up, a, a BYU program that has consistently 
been been really good with a, a USF program that's kind of lost its way. And I'm surprised this line is not bigger than 12 and a half points. Maybe there's not enough BYU fans hitting the casinos and throwing money around on the Cougs. That's fine. I'll uh, throw my support behind the Cougs instead and say they will cover that 12 and a half point spread. Well, Blake, would you take our two picks, our two locks? How would you feel to putting those, uh, combining those in a parlay, in a two-team parlay? Would oh, you- it's easy money. It's a slam dunk. And in fact, we encourage you to do so. <laughs> Here's the main thing that concerns me. I looked at that line. BYU, I love that line. But anytime I'm that enamored with a line, it goes the other way. I mean, that looks a lot, as you said, you said it, easy money. That's what it looks like to me too. Golly, yeah, how many right. times have his easy money not turned out to be easy at all? John, we got the some some week one games unfolding in front of us on, on Thursday. Uh, I know you'll be uh, tuned in and writing about uh, Tennessee Ball State. Also have Missouri in action against Louisiana Tech. Now, Eli Drinkwitz, he had a funny quip this week. He was he was encouraging very students to really get out there, stay wire to wire, be loud, be proud, because he mentioned, you know, if you're out late on a Thursday night early in the semester, you don't really have to worry about those early semester classes anyway. You can always make up ground there later in the semester. I, I found that to be true, John. And, and in fact, I'd take it a step further. It wasn't just early semester classes you don't have to worry about. I, I, I showed up to a lot of Friday morning classes with a piercing hangover uh, and graduated with high honors. Uh, so I, I, think, I think that's good sound advice there for Eli Drinkwitz. Don't worry about those Friday morning classes. You can, you can show up late, show up with a hangover. Maybe don't show up at all. You'll be fine. The Tigers need the support because they don't even know if the band's going to be there in Columbia Mo. A history of no showing on on games. Well, I have been upset uh, before by missing more early morning classes. Um, uh, my last semester at, at LSU was uh, I had two I had two morning classes, and in summer school, and one of them was pass fail. And the other one just had a final. So I never went to either one of the classes. And, and how'd you do? Just, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, <laughs> it was really scary because uh, I barely made it. And what happened in the, as it turned out in the history class, it was a small class, upper level class. I didn't think this, we're going back to high school in the, and our teacher would be calling on people to answer questions. But this professor did that. And so whenever there wasn't, no one could answer a question, he would say, how about you, Mr. Adams? Ooh, that, that alphabetical order to gotcha. You were probably the yeah. first name on the, on the list. And so when it came to pass that I was never there, it became a class joke for the whole summer semester. How about you, Mr. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, of course, there'd be dead air. And I had to go in right before the file. I had no idea. We were just going to take a file. It was going to be essay, and I just knew I could pass it. 
And I went in there and talked. I don't remember what I told him as to why I hadn't been able to attend. Some kind of hardship, I'm sure. So I thought I was going to fail the class, and I didn't. So Medical hardship waiver. Saved the day. All right, John, good luck to your, your lock of the week. I feel good in mine. We'll uh, be back next week to recap what we got wrong. Maybe we got a few things right. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.